Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. We are back after our break with more conversations on universal basic income to share with you. Now, many of you may have listened to our recent episode where we talked with Senator Bob Wykowski of California about his proposal for instituting a policy in California that would have extended the state's cap-and-trade system, but would have taken most of the revenue coming in from that system and created a climate dividend fund that paid out equally to residents across the state of California. So today we are joined by one of the original and biggest proponents of that idea. Peter Barnes is the co-founder of Credo Mobile and author of With Liberty and Dividends for All and also Who Owns the Sky. Welcome, Peter. Nice to be here. So, Peter, can you start off by telling us how did you first get interested in the idea of universal basic income? Gosh, well, all my life I have been interested in two things, fixing economic inequality, creating more economic equality, and saving the planet. And as long ago as uh, as in the 1970s, my uh, first business venture, I set up a uh, a worker-owned co-op that was doing solar energy. And ever since then, in one way or another, I've been sort of tackling either the the idea of making Americans more equal, especially owning equal shares, whether it's of a business or of our whole economy, um, and also saving the planet, particularly from climate change. So anyway, those two ideas seemingly coming from, from unrelated uh, spheres actually converged to this whole image of doing both at the same time with a single very simple mechanism, which is uh, putting a cap and then a price on pollution that causes climate change and using the revenue to pay dividends to everybody equally as they do in Alaska with a slightly different source of revenue, i.e. oil. So. You, you've been a key proponent of this carbon dividend idea, and California recently considered it, and it's currently be, being pursued in Washington, D.C. Could you give us the underlying philosophy of the carbon dividend? Yeah. Well, the idea is that people call it a carbon dividend or a climate dividend, but really what it involves is um, making polluters pay, or even before that, it involves limiting the total amount and reducing the total amount of pollution that we even allow in the first place. So the first key part of a carbon dividend is a cap, an actual physical cap, which goes down from one year to the next so that the amount of pollution, carbon pollutions in particular, goes down until we get it down to pretty much zero, gradually, a little bit at a time. So that's the first piece of it. But as you do that, you create an economic value because you're, you're actually recognizing the fact that the storage capacity of the atmosphere is a finite resource, a scarce resource, uh, that if you make its scarcity evident to the market by putting these descending limits, you're going to create a price. You will have an auction. Not everybody who wants to pollute can do it. Uh, so you have an auction and the people who want to pay the most will pay the most uh, for the right to dump wastes into the air. Uh, and that's where the revenue comes from. 
And what we do with that revenue is, is of course, open for debate, as we will get to, I'm sure, in the course of this conversation. But in my, from the philosophically, I see that revenue as belonging to everybody equally because they derive from the scarcity of the atmosphere or the atmosphere's carbon absorption capacity. And that is a resource that really belongs to everybody. It is a gift of creation. And to think that we would privatize it in one way or another, as has been done with uh, the cap and trade program, for example, is, is just wrong morally. And I would also argue that politically and economically, it makes more sense to share the money equally among everybody. So let's say that we're able to enact a carbon dividend in one or more states across the country. And, and maybe eventually at the federal level. How would that move us closer to something like a universal basic income? The big thing that keeps America from entertaining, even entertaining the idea of a universal income that everybody is entitled to, not because they work, but because they're just entitled to it, uh, there's one really good model of that. And that is the Alaska Permanent Fund, where they take a common resource, in that case, oil, and they charge for it, and they share much of the revenue equally in the form of dividends. If you look at, uh, and that's been going on for 35 years in Alaska, and it is immensely successful and immensely popular. So if we want to get to a basic income in America, we have to deal with the fact that people in America are just absolutely resistant to the notion that they should get income for not working. So we kind of have to break through that, 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 that resistance by showing that it can be done, it makes sense, and it's perfectly legitimate. People in Alaska feel that their dividends are totally legitimate because they understand that this is coming from a resource that belongs to everybody. And so just let, you know, a few oil companies take it away is, 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 is silly. So the way I see getting to basic income in America involves a few steps. We have to overcome two things, really. First is, is the resistance. Uh, people don't want to be taxed to, you know, pay money that goes to people who don't work. So we need to create another story for why paying money to everybody is fine. And secondly, we have to show how we can actually pay for that. Where, where is the money going to come from? And it can't all come from carbon or carbon dividends. But if we get that set up first as an example in some state or multiple states or nationally, eventually, that could be the, the, the starting point. Uh, uh, for a higher basic income or a basic income with other sources besides carbon revenue, but sources that were analogous in the sense that they really represent making corporations that use common wealth pay to use that wealth, not just use it for free, and when they pay, it actually gets shared among the owners, which are all of us. So to take that first part a step further, how can we reframe the story around unconditional basic income 
to make it more acceptable to an American audience. Okay. In Europe, I think it's interesting that there are differences between Europe and maybe even Canada in that same boat as Europe on the one hand and America on the other. In Europe and Canada, they have a long history of welfare states, which are, are, are broadly supported. In the U.S., we don't have that history at all. There's a lot of resistance to uh, taxing people to pay other people who aren't working. Um, so I think in America, we have to take a slightly different approach, and, and that is to build on the Alaska model of shared ownership of, of, of something that uh, is a valuable asset that is not properly priced. Uh, I think that would fly in America. It has certainly flown in Alaska, which is uh, not a very liberal state. It's a Trump-type state. Um, and I think that the idea of pre-distribution as opposed to redistribution is more saleable. What we're taking is income from wealth that belongs to everybody rather than taxing wealth that some people have earned and, and giving it to others. I think it's a stronger story. The other thing that's nice about it is that it's self-financing once it's set up. Um, you have a revenue stream. The money comes in. It goes out. It doesn't even necessarily have to go through the U.S. Treasury. It can go through a separate fund the way Alaska has segregated this money into something called a permanent fund, and the, the politicians can't touch it once it's set up. So I like that aspect of this model as well. Now, there's a split within the environmental movement about how to spend money from a, a carbon tax or, or cap system, with some people proposing that it go largely to programs like climate research and clean energy, while others like yourself proposing the dividend system. What is your case within that context for a dividend when talking about the revenue that comes from the sale of those carbon allowances? Well, the case is twofold. First, there's a political case, which is that if you want to build broad public support for taking measures to curb climate change, which will have the inevitable consequences of raising the price of energy and everything that embodies energy. In other words, it will necessarily be regressive. If you want to have public support that's going to last for a couple of decades uh, for that sort of program, you have to compensate people for their economic loss. And paying dividends to everybody that are highly visible and tangible is probably the only way we're going to build enough political support to make a climate program works. So that's that's the political argument. Uh, but there's also a truly uh, policy argument, a true policy argument, which environment environmentalists who have spent the last uh, you know 30 years or so building this vast regulatory mechanism uh, to fight for clean water, clean air, all those things that have been dealt with from a regulatory standpoint, do not appreciate sufficiently that there are other ways to approach environmental problems that can work as well or better than a regulatory approach or a spending approach, which is somewhat similar. Uh, and that is to work through the market um, by a combination of 
capping or putting physical limits on the throughput of a pollutant and then pricing that pollutant as a consequence of the scarcity that, that, that is created. You can, it is, it is most economists, I would, I would assume that over 90% of economists would say that if you want to reduce something, uh, the use of something, putting a limit and a price on it, assuming that the limits are low enough or the prices are high enough, is a very effective way of accomplishing that end. You mentioned the importance of dividends being visible. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that and why it's valuable? Right. You know, liberals and economists and policy wonks tend to think that money is fungible. If you give people money in one way, it's, it's the same as giving it to them in another way. This is not true. Uh, there are many examples of government programs that, for example, involve tax credits that uh, actually uh, go to people but are completely unnoticed or, and don't, don't achieve either the educational or the political benefits that should come from that flow of money. A perfect example was a few years ago when Obama introduced this make work pay tax credit which resulted in lower withholding on payroll taxes every paycheck so at in, over the course of the year the average middle class worker uh actually had about a thousand dollars less in payroll taxes withheld from their checks and therefore was a thousand dollars ahead of the game than they were before this thing started a couple of years after that started, the Republicans decided enough with that. We're going to get rid of this. And they did. And there wasn't a peep of opposition because nobody even knew that their payroll withholding was slightly lower. It's just not the kind of thing you notice. Whereas if you got a check in the mail or if you got money wired to your bank account, a little notice popped up on your smartphone saying, congratulations, you've just received your latest dividend of $212. Uh, people would notice. They would also notice, presumably, uh, why that money was coming and feel pretty good about it. So that's why how it is delivered, how money is delivered is really important. And visibility, repetition, and association of the receipt of the money with the reason that you are getting it. These are all important things in telling a story and making a new story sink into the minds of the American people. Now, the air is perhaps the most obvious common resource about which we could create some sort of tax and dividend scheme. What are the other shared resources that you could imagine being used to either establish or add on to that system? Well, uh, as I was writing my book on dividends for all, that question was sort of a big question that I really spend a lot of time thinking about. And there are a number of possibilities, but what we're looking for is a possibility or a kind of a common resource which is very widely used and therefore, a lot of revenue is potentially associated with putting a price or a higher price on it. And the, the next one I would do after carbon uh, is actually one that has been fairly widely discussed. And that is 
in the current context, what it's called is a financial transaction tax. Again, I never use the tax word because we're trying to shift the frame from a tax, which is something that goes to government that people don't like to pay, to a price or a fee that should be paid because it represents a payment for value received. So, for example, in the case of a financial transaction fee, banks and people who trade securities uh, are using a common resource, which is our monetary system, our financial system, which is a very big and complex thing that we have built over the years. It's a finely honed system that is a public resource. And without that resource, a lot of things wouldn't happen, uh, including all the trading that goes on uh, in our economy, in, our, in the financial side of our economy. So um, why should not people who use that piece of financial infrastructure and make a lot of money from using it pay something for the right to use it? If you go to Vegas, for example, and sit at one of their tables over there, you're paying the house something like 5% uh, uh, of what you put in just for the right to play the game. Well, we don't charge anything for using our financial infrastructure. Banks don't pay anything to use it. In fact, they get subsidized in lots of ways. So uh, it's the same thing. If we charged banks and securities firms and these high-speed traders uh, to use a common resource and shared the money equally, uh, that would be a legitimate source of non-labor income for everybody based on our common ownership, which would probably be at the maybe even more than from a carbon dividend. And the same analogy would apply to just the create the simple creation of new money, which is something that has to happen every year because the economy is growing. And uh, how do we do it now? Now we let banks create all of our new money. We essentially privatize the creation of new money, even though in the Constitution that power is a public power. Um, instead of letting banks create new money by just lending it into existence and requiring it to be paid back to them with interest, we could have the government or the Fed print a certain amount of new money every year and inject it into the economy by just giving it to all of us to spend it into the economy. It would be a bottom-up kind of uh, introduction of new money rather than a top-down kind of or banks-first kind of introduction of new money, and it would have lots of benefits. So that would be my second uh, common resource to use as a source of dividends. There are others that would be probably smaller, um, such as the broadcast spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, and, and, and maybe charging something for the right to have uh, so-called intellectual property rights, you know, monopolies on intellectual property. Okay, uh, perhaps we should have those for a certain number of years, but the people who uh, benefit from them, in some cases very large, benefit greatly, should have to pay something for that particular benefit. So that's the general idea. These are fees paid by corporations for real value received 
from the use of something that is commonly created or commonly inherited. So a uh, carbon dividend is one of the most commonly considered stepping stone policies towards a universal basic income. But there are others as well, such as a child allowance, expanding the earned income tax credit. And these all resemble and differ from a UBI in different ways. Do you see a carbon dividend as being preferable to these alternatives? Well, I have two answers. I mean, one is, yes, I see it being preferable, but I don't mean that in a in an exclusionary way. I, I think it's important to try various things and uh, sort of let the real world figure out what's going to work best. Uh, and different states can, can do different things. But the reason I think a, a carbon dividend is, is probably uh, a preferable step, first stepping stone to the two that you mentioned, the child allowance and the, or some kind of expansion of the earned income tax credit. Uh, first, vis-a-vis -vis the child allowance, uh, separate, separating off children from everybody else, while it certain, certainly has a kind of uh, political appeal because everybody loves children, uh, it's not, um, it doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is the fact that uh, working age people who have to depend on labor income are getting increasingly screwed. And, and we need some way to sustain working age people uh, that complements the declining contribution of labor income. Now, EITC does that. So EITC, in my mind, is, a, is an interesting place to start. But uh, the problem with it there or is that it is a tax credit. So it's, it's tied in with the whole tax system, which, you know, is, in my mind, not the thing that we should be tied into because it's, it, you're still in that sort of welfare mode of taxing the more successful, quote, unquote, uh, to pay the, quote, unquote, less successful. And that can only go so far, in my opinion. So I'd rather get out of that uh, particular frame uh, by creating something that is universal and not based on need and, and not based on taxing and redistributing. So can you tell us, do you have any thoughts about how the basic income movement and the climate movement might best work together going forward? Well, that is a really good question. Um, there's been some interest in the climate movement, a little bit of interest now in in trying to build a base that is not just environmentalists, you know, uh, but actually real people uh, who have some economic concerns as well as climate concerns. So I think it's in the interest of, of the environmental movement to reach out to a broader constituency. Some in the environmental movement are starting to see that, but as you alluded to earlier, there are a whole bunch who don't, who think that we just have to talk to people on the basis of climate, 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 and only climate, and eventually we'll persuade them. So I don't think that's right, accurate, and, and, and that's why I think it behooves the climate movement to, to get more by lining up with other constituencies who are concerned about economic security. And as far as the economic security people, the people who are now interested in, in some form of basic income, I think it just makes 
sense to align with environmentalists because uh, it's another constituency which has a, a certain amount of clout. Um, frankly, I think the two complement each other in ways which not enough people recognize and um, we don't have a lot of time to both save the planet and save the middle class and by getting everybody on the same page behind a common solution I think makes sense. That was Peter Barnes, co-founder of Credo Mobile and author of With Liberty and Dividends for All and Who Owns the Sky. When we think about policy, we often assume that the best solution for any particular issue is inherently going to have to come at the exclusion of others. So it's really interesting to think about how we can potentially have policy that's both a great solution for fighting climate change, but also could be a huge step towards basic income. So this is a very elegant way to create a progressive tax that rewards people for not polluting. A carbon tax is considered a very heavy political lift because it increases the cost of living for everyone. But under a carbon dividend scheme, it actually provides a net plus for most people. And even though the policy didn't pass in California that, that we were looking at last month, the idea definitely still has legs. There's promising movement in D.C. right now for the Put a Price on It campaign that they're pursuing there. And I know there's other states across the country that are considering pursuing carbon dividend policy as well. So hopefully it won't be that long at all before we can actually enact this somewhere in the states. And this is one idea that I think will only get more popular with more exposure. Almost no one I've spoken to about the carbon dividend idea had heard of it before, but it's a win for just about everyone except for the biggest polluters, which it's worth noting tend to be high-income people or oil companies. So that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. If you like what you hear, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes or the podcast service of your choice. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.